Good morning. As you see in your worship folder, uh, we're going to be discussing Romans 12, 1 and 2, part 2. And I really don't know what part 2 means other than we did part 1 last week. So don't look for the part 2 portion in your Bible because it does not say that explicitly. Um, If you would, though, please turn there. And uh, let's stand together as we, as we read this. And I'd like to ask a favor um, before we read the scripture. If you could, the person sitting next to you or standing next to you, could you switch places with them? Like everybody. You just switch places with whoever's sitting next to you. Um, you, you guys too, up here. If you can, safely, of course. Okay, is anybody still standing in the spot they were standing in before? Okay, but we're, we're good then. Okay. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, let me pray, uh, and then we'll read this together. Uh, Father God, we pray that you open our eyes to your word, that you would um, enlighten us to what you have to say to us as we seek to grow in our faith and grow um, in our knowledge of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Uh, where you're supposed to be sitting right now. So, Now, Huntsville is a town um, that is very familiar with the concept that we're talking about today, and the, that word is transformation. Transformation. Now, yesterday we had a work day up at our neighborhood pool, and one of the, the guys that I was working with kept saying, wow, what a transformation. You know, what, now what have we done? We had taken leaves, and we were raking them, and we were pressure washing and um, putting some paint on a couple places, but to me, that's not really like a transformation. You know, that's just kind of maintenance, right? Um, and, and if you look at yourselves, which I have a, a great view of, of all of you now, um, honestly, I can't remember how you were studying before. Uh, there was just, you know, you could, you, could all, you could have all switched back, and I couldn't even tell, right? We didn't really transform the room, did we? We just kind of shifted people a couple places. You know, Cole was sitting in the aisle, and now he's sitting next between his mom and dad, so he's probably happier. But, you know, we didn't really transform anything. But, but Huntsville is, is a, very familiar with the term transformation. And what I mean by that is if you look through the census figures historically of the city of Huntsville, you will find real transformation. In 1950, and some of you may know this, the population of Huntsville was 16,437, 1950. In 1960, the population of the city of Huntsville in 10 years jumped to 72,365, okay? Now let's jump 10 more years, 1970, that 72,000 jumps to 139,282. 
So in 20 years' time, and really it's less than 20 years' time, you have a population that shifts from less than 17,000 to almost 140,000. Now that's a transformation. That's going from a town to a city. Now, for, unfortunately, for places that are looking to grow exponentially, like the city of Huntsville has, they're not going to be able to find a whole lot that they can take from the city of Huntsville. You know, what factors caused the city of Huntsville to grow? Two things. The United States Army and NASA, right? So they brought in, they moved missile command, they brought, they brought people from Texas, they brought people from all over, they brought people from Germany, and the city of Huntsville grew exponentially in less than two decades. It goes from 16.5 to 139 and change. That's what we would call transformation. Okay, so transformation is a big change. It's not just this rearranging of things that we already have. You know, it's not shuffling people in their pews. That's not real transformation. But transformation is a huge jump. It's a leap. It's, it's, it's a difference. Now, last week, Randy had talked in, uh, first, uh, sorry, Romans 12, 2, the beginning of the verse. He says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, or do not conform to the pattern of the age. And this week, uh, in the second half of the verse, Paul tells us how to not conform. And he says, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we have, so this brings to mind a question, what's the problem with my mind? Because I think I have a pretty good mind already. Well, let's look at what Scripture tells us. If you flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, just back a little ways in your Bible. First Peter chapter 1, verse 14. 13 and 14. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So the first problem with the mind is ignorance. And ignorance is simply a lack of knowledge. And it's really not even knowing what you don't know. The passions of your former ignorance. So one of the problems, again, it's the problem with the mind. It's that there's not the knowledge there that's required. We don't have what we need. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to hang out here for um, a moment. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 17, 18, and 19 of Ephesians. It says, now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the heart, their hardness of heart. Again, we see ignorance. They're darkened in their understanding. That's what it means to have ignorance is not understanding what God requires. First problem with the mind. The second problem we see right here in Ephesians chapter 4, it is hard-heartedness. Hard-heartedness. 
we read verse 18 again. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance in them due to the hardness of heart. Now, if you read the next verse, they have become callous and given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So hardness of heart and callousness now go together. You know, to be cold, to be apathetic, not caring, this is another problem of the mind. Is, is our, our minds are darkened, um, but they're also callous. And finally, our, our, our third problem with our mind. If you flip to Colossians chapter 1. So just after Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So not only are we ignorant and hard-hearted, but we're hostile. Our minds are hostile. We are belligerent, opposed, enemies of the light. John Calvin says this, he says, if the renovation of our mind is necessary in order that we might prove what the will of God is, which Romans 12 tells us it is necessary, it is hence evident how opposed it is to God. If we have to have a brand new mind in order to understand the will of God, that tells us how opposed our mind is to God already. And we can't put the new man, we can't put on the new man until We've renewed our minds. So to be, to be brought into the kingdom of God, we cannot have a treasonous mind, which Scripture tells us we already have. Okay, so this is the problem with the mind. Now, now let me give you uh, two things to think. Okay, two things to think. The first thing is to think big. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus demanded not a reformation of behavior, but a transformation of character. That's a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Jesus demands not a reformation of behavior, but a transformation of character. So sometimes when we look to change who we are, we start with behavior. I identify some things that are wrong with myself that I want to change. And yet, when we look at Scripture, that is not what God does. He does the opposite. He starts with character, which flows into behavior. John Piper says that the nonconformity to the world does not primarily mean the external avoidance of worldly behaviors. That's included, but you can avoid all kinds of worldly behaviors and not be transformed. So it's possible to change your behavior without transforming your mind. That's very possible. And in fact, if we look at Scripture, we see that's exactly what the Pharisees excelled at. Okay, they were masters of changing behavior without changing their mind. Lloyd-Jones again says that we must stop thinking of Christian living as a mere modification of our former behavior or a mere improvement of our former behavior. You see, the problem is deeper than behavior. We have to address the root problem. When you go to a doctor and you tell him your symptoms... He's not trying to figure out how just to alleviate your symptoms. If he did that, you would be back to the doctor every time you had a symptom. But what he's trying to understand by 
talking about your symptoms is get to your root problem. Okay, we treat the root problem and not just the symptoms, and that's what Romans 12 is all about. What is the root problem of man? And the root problem is the mind. That's the root problem. So that's about thinking big. Think outside of behavior. And now the second thing is to think small. Okay, think big, now think small. Transformation is an inward issue with an outward outcome. Okay, transformation starts inside and is evidenced outside. See, we can have the wrong approach sometimes, and sometimes my approach is that I want to change the problem of the person sitting next to me. Or I, can, I want to change the problem of the people that live in my house. Or I want to change the problem of the culture which I live in. And yet if we do that, what are we really changing? We're focusing again on behavior and not on root issues. The right approach is something like this. I need to submit, submit myself wholly to God. And God might change that person or he might change that culture through my obedience, but he might not. And scripture is full of all kinds of examples of both people. People that are faithful and God uses them to transform the places where they are. And people that are faithful and God uses them and the culture never changes. See, I can't, and, and sometimes the problem is I'm trying to address things in other people while I'm never dealing with my own issues. That's why transformation starts on the inside. That's why it's a personal thing first. And if we start to address the problems that other people have without first being transformed ourselves, and we're essentially turning ourselves into a human pinata. Okay, because people are already going to take some, some swats, some smacks at you anyway, if you're faithfully following God. But if we give them more reasons to hit us, you know, it's like busted up until the candy comes out type of thing. Um, that's not the type of transformation that God is talking about. He's just saying, first, be transformed inwardly. And here's P- John Piper giving an, an explanation of what it means to be transformed. This is what he says. When you are transformed in Christ, you love to do what you ought to do. Okay, so I love to do what I ought to do. That's what transformation looks like. It's not simply, I do what I ought to do. Because I can teach you, or you can teach me, what I ought to do. And I can stop those things that are maybe a problem for me, but unless I love to do that, then I'm not really transformed. So here's three things, and these are three things. How does this transformation, how does renewal happen? The first one, and these are all P's so we can remember them easily. The first one is persistence. Okay, persistence. Now, there's no such thing as a magic pill when it comes to getting in shape. Do I think we, I think we understand that, right? You know, there's, there's not such a, like, you can't just give me a pill and, I, and I'm going to turn into Jim Batson. Okay, right? Uh, you know, it takes a lot of work to look the way I look. <laughs> just like it takes a lot of work to look the, to, to look the way Jim looks. You know, it's, it's like the, nobody runs a marathon on accident, right? That, that doesn't happen. It takes persistence, and you've got to train, and you've got to work out. Raise your hand in here if you've ever run a marathon. Anybody? One, two. We got two? All right. Did it? 
Did it happen by accident? Did, did you just see a group of people that were running? You decided, hey, where are you guys going? Oh, we're going 26 miles that way. All right. It, it doesn't happen by accident. Although I, I do know somebody that she thought she signed up for a half marathon and she signed up for a full marathon. She just ran it anyway. Okay, that, that's just crazy to me. But we don't run a marathon by accident. Persistence. You know, do you want the secret of losing weight and getting in shape? Two things, right? Eat less, exercise more. Isn't it so easy? You know, do you want the secret of growing in your faith? Spend time in prayer, spend time in the Word. I mean, these are simple concepts, but just because they're obvious doesn't make them not true. And just because I know how to do something doesn't mean I'm, I, I am going to do it. Just because I know how to be a good father does not make me a good father, does it? Or if I know how to be a good husband, that does not make me a good husband. I guarantee you this, all of you students, you know how to be a good student. Does that make you a good student? You've got to do it. It's about persistence. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 says, We do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inward self is being renewed day by day. Persistence is an everyday thing. And often, we look at the result, and that's what we want. And, and of course, we know in real life, those who succeed quickly often struggle a lot. You know, we, we, we know if you want to lose weight, you're supposed to do it gradually, right? If you've ever talked to a doctor, you know, lose five pounds a month because that's the best way. Chances are you're going to keep it off, and it's better for your heart, right? If you lose weight all at once, chances are you can put it back right, right back up just as easily. We're not looking for the immediate thing. And in fact, in the parable of the sower, Jesus talks specifically about this problem spiritually when he says, talks about the seed that lands among the rocks. And the seed that lands among the rocks shoots up very quickly, but he says this, it has no root in himself and quickly withers. You know, sometimes we desire that behavioral change and it can, it can be, get we can achieve it very quickly or easily, but if we're not rooted in the word, if we're not rooted in the transformation of our mind, then we can quickly fall away. You know, there's day by day. It takes time at times. But there will also be setbacks for sure. Not saying that if, you're not, that if you are not seeing results or if you are tempted to go back into doing what you had formerly done, that you're not a believer. You remember what Peter had said, don't be conformed to the passions of your former flesh. That means that those desires oftentimes are still there. You know, God doesn't take away our desire for sin. He gives us the power to become believers in spite of that. He manifests his life in us by allowing us to obey even though we desire something different. So transformation is a day-by-day reality. And the second thing, transformation is permanent. Okay, it's, it's life-altering with no ending, and there's no going back. You know, this week, uh, my daughter's little preschool class downstairs, they had something pretty cool happen. They got the uh, little caterpillars, 
and they came and they built themselves a little cocoon and they hung out in the corner of the little box or cage or whatever caterpillars go in. Um, and then after a certain period of time, I think it was two weeks, they came into class and the caterpillars were gone, the cocoons were gone, and they were butterflies. Now, if I'm a butterfly, there's no going back to being a caterpillar. I can't transform myself back. And that's what we're talking about. This is a permanent, life-altering change. Martin Luther says this, The Christian life does not mean to stand still, but to move from that which is good to that which is better. So the Christian life is always striving for holiness with the realization that we'll never actually get there, but this is a permanent change. If I stop desiring the holy things of God, if I stop desiring holiness for myself, perhaps I was that seed that grew up and was not rooted. Perhaps my change was in behavior only and not a transformation. Bernard of Clairvaux said that as soon as you do not desire to become better, then you have ceased to be good. The Christian life is about holiness, walking towards God, sanctification. Now the Bible also says that I cannot be, if I'm a believer, I cannot be snatched out of the hand of God. So we have that promise that if you are in Christ, you cannot be transformed the other way because God does not allow it. It's not something that happens. And finally, here's the third thing, and this is, this is our final point. The renewal of the mind is personal. So it's persistent, it's permanent and personal, and it is the work, the person of the Holy Spirit at work in the person of the believer. This is a one-on-one type of thing. This is one mind at a time, one life at a time, one heart at a time. If we flip to Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. Paul says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that by being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now if you catch this in in Titus 3, this is what's happening, and you can see the work that God is doing in us. He says, says that he saved us not because of works done by us, but according to his mercy by the washing and renewal, regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out so that we are justified by his grace. So this is all the work of God. It's personal, but it's the work of God, God in us. And this isn't, again, this is not God in the person next to me, and that's not what I'm seeking when I'm desiring transformation. This is God in me. When I seek after God, when I do those things which I know will build me up and help to transform my mind to desire the things that God wants me to do, when I do what I ought to do and I love to do it, that's what real transformation is. Let's pray.
Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the work that you do in the lives of those whom you have called. God, that not by something that we can do on our own, Lord, but that you working in us, Father, that we can be transformed from enemies into heirs. Lord, from opponents into family. Lord, we thank you that that you see past our own efforts. And God, sometimes it is so easy to try to change our behavior because we're not quite ready to commit to a renewal of our mind. We, We don't desire transformation at times because we like the life that we have. And Lord, I pray that you would convict us of of that. Lord, that you would give us humility to be humble before you. Uh, Lord, to be humble before others that we might be transformed so that you might work in us. And God, that we would let the results be up to you. But Lord, that we would desire to worship you, to seek you, to grow in our faith. And do that every day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.